The views and content expressed on the following program are provided solely for informational and entertainment purposes. They do not constitute legal advice. A podcast is not a substitute for retaining a competent, licensed attorney to advise you on your specific legal situation. How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the show. It is time for Break the Business, where we empower indie creators and have some fun along the way. I'm Ryan Carella, and it is a pleasure to have you here this week. Woo! We got ourselves a show this week. A show is going to be had. It's going to be quite showy. Let us bring in our co-host this week. That wasn't my best intro. I'll admit that right now. Elisa Rock Talk, how are you doing? I'm 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 okay. This is what happens when I don't kind of work out the first few sentences before the theme song starts, but we're, that's all right. We're shaking it off. I'm very happy to see you. How are you? How is Texas, by the way? Texas um, seems to be going through some things. Uh, when, when, when is it not? Uh, one. True. When is it not? Uh, we had a bit of a winter freeze uh, last week. Um, the roads turned into hockey rinks, um, and we all stayed inside, hopefully, for the most part. Um, I got the chance to kind of re- arrange the studio in here with our with our not going outness last week um which has been really really nice upgrades to the setup and everything for those watching some on a feng shuiing happening there behind you i thought oh, maybe yeah. you were in a different room you just kind of moved no, some things no, around no um no so we we moved the we kind of made a recording booth out of literally a couple of pieces of foam and a moving blanket that was uh like draped on a mic stand <laughs> for for sound baffling but we've since upgraded the microphone and moved things over to my desk uh so it's actually a lot easier with my uh with my keyboard and synth setup and everything i have the microphone set up there so i can do anything from record vo to record vocals on a crimson echoes project so that's that's your setup for vo like you're able to do it just in that room with just yep. really good mic and the right positioning, you can yep. record the really cool VO stuff that you've recorded? Yep, absolutely. Um, the the SM7B is is really good. I hear that, you know, my 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 voice tends to be a little bit lower, a little bit heavier. Um, and and that tends to lift things up a bit. It also is a deader microphone than the one we've been using, which is great when it, you know, comes to things like the cat running around in the background and <laughs> all sorts of other things. Um, it's it's actually a lot easier um, because we don't have to do a lot of treatment or, you know, unplugging a bunch of things that are humming around the apartment on the front end. Uh, you could just kind of just set up and go. Um, so that's that's really nice. I feel like we're seeing that innovation lately in VO where, because I've heard other voiceover artists talk about this, where the, to get the sound you wanted to get, it used to be about the things around you. And now recently, it's more about the thing you're talking into. And the right kind of mic can mimic the kind of sound you would want that you otherwise get from like having to outfit your space with all kinds of insulation and things like that. 
Yeah, and absolutely. But really, it is it is to some extent still still about everything around you. But it's also realizing that like it doesn't take as much as you think. Like we were getting some reflections off of the back wall. But as soon as Evan at Evan Lamb Guitar hung up his guitar cases along the wall, that just gave like exactly enough sort of diffusion to kind of like deaden the room even more um i even joked about put you know cutting up some pool noodles and like putting them up on the on the ceiling <laughs> to kind of add a little bit more um but like if you can deaden the room enough through a combination i mean i was using a moving blanket before and i got booked on a moving blanket behind me so you don't there, there is also like definitely some some discourse going around Twitter around the same time about like literally microphones and like whether USB or XLR microphones are better for streamers or content creators. My well, I'm I'm an XLR nerd because we're musicians and we just have XLRs all day every day. Um, USB microphones have gotten a lot better, but really for me, it's all about like what's the thing that works and gets you there bare minimum and is the thing that you're going to want to use consistently and actually help you create and it doesn't really matter about like how fancy the tech is and maybe this is just kind of like a placebo psychosomatic thing but like something about plugging a real chunky xlr <laughs> cable <laughs> in a like a big chunky hole oh, makes yeah. it seem like that what you're doing is like a real sophisticated oh, yeah, kind of project yeah. like it, it doesn't work unless you like you know give yourself the blood blister That's you right. know of, of of tightening a mic stand or you know dropping the end on a floor and just absolutely shattering your eardrum with how loud that is it's it's <laughs> it's it's a different experience it's a it different really experience we got a full agenda we this do. hour, Elisa, it is it is jam packed. We have no time for frivolousness. All right, we have to talk about the Grammys. We oh, have to God. talk about Nintendo Direct. We got the AI Overlords tip of the week. Oh yes, we we have entertainment law news, and our Ooh. guest this week, holy mackerel, we are going to be joined in the second segment by Harvard Law Professor Alan Jenkins and New York Times best selling author Gon Galan. And I know you might be thinking to yourself. What is a law professor and a New York Times bestselling author doing on our silly little program? And what are they doing together? Because they seem like they'd run in different circles. Well, Professor Jenkins and Gon Golan collaborated together on a graphic novel. I mean, how cool is that? Um, they, they collaborated on a graphic novel called One Six. It is a speculative fiction graphic novel about what would have happened if the January 6th attacks succeeded. For the Ooh, insurrectionists, very the the spiciest of spicy, and uh, I'm excited to talk to Professor Jenkins in particular because I've never met any law professors that make graphic novels. The only law <laughs> professors I have met uh, ruin your mid twenties and put you in counseling for anxiety. So this is going to be a welcome change of pace for me. I see Drama. Professor Jenkins laughing at that in the green room. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but so the, I'm intrigued. I want to know like how these two people got connected. Why are they making graphic novels together? Yeah. And by the way, if to bring, give it like a real break, the business tie, you want to know how this got funded? Kickstarter. Hey. So they're, they're really speaking to our audience and we, um, we're going to have a lot of great questions for them. That comes up in the next segment. Uh, first of all, uh, before we even bring them in, we have a lot of other sophisticated topics that are certainly worthy of sharing a show mm. with a Harvard law professor and a New York Times bestselling author. We got to talk about the Grammys. Hey. Um. Actually, wait. No. But first. Oh. 
I, I can't believe I almost insulted the AI overlords by no, 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 by no, no, skipping no, 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 past no. them. Do not do that. Twitter was already down for a half second. We cannot That's be right. messing with any Twitter, more technology. Twitter did have an issue today. Okay. All right, Lauren, let's get us into it. AI overlords tip of the week. AI For those new to the programming, with this, we ask ChatGPT to give us a tip about how indie artists can move their careers forward. And let me tell you, ChatGPT doesn't miss. Every single one of the pieces of advice it has given has been a banger. And so we're going to stick with our AI overlord on this until uh, they deliver an L, which, of course, our AI overlord never does. Here's our AI overlord tip of the week this week. Actively engage with your audience and foster a sense of community around your art. This can be done by responding to comments and questions on social media, hosting live Q&A sessions, or starting a discussion group related to the things you create. Building a strong community can not only help you retain your current fans, but it can also attract new fans who are looking for a sense of belonging and connection. Additionally, a supportive community can provide you with valuable feedback and help you grow as a creator. So don't be afraid to reach out and connect with your people. I feel like, Elisa, the AI overlord is speaking to you this week because I I think you're really great at this. That is um, industry best practices vis-a-vis community management and community building. It is all about engagement and the quality of the engagement. People don't want to see you just posting your tour announcements and just posting promo all the time and just posting stuff into the ether. People want to have a, a... um, parasocial a a, a relationship <laughs> with with their artists nowadays um and also feel like they have a place where they can meet other like-minded folks that's why things like like discord um have been so instrumental in in not just artists but also other content creators like streamers etc just having a main hub for people that are fans of you to communicate with each other and and build build that sense of belonging i i, I dig it dang it Got one right. (laughs) And we often talk about social media being a two-way street, right? You don't want to just treat it as something where you're shouting to your fans and not listening to them. But as you noted, perhaps the best way to use social media as a creator is not just to treat it as much like a two-way street as almost like a 15-car pileup where (laughs) you're talking to them, they're talking to you. They're talking to each other. each other. A community's being built around their what? mutual love of the stuff that you're creating. And that's really kind of, from what I'm hearing from you, the best version of what our AI overlord is talking about right here. Yeah, like my my favorite thing is when I'm seeing discussions in the Discord that I myself did not initiate at all and it's people sharing their pets or people being like oh here's an awesome new song i heard the other day because we have a music exchange channel in the discord um someone recently adopted new kittens so our mosh pets channel has gotten absolutely flooded with adorable cat pictures um and just feeling feeling as as a creator as somebody who who definitely has, you know, since since the days of AOL chat rooms um, have, have loved connection. the kind of, <laughs> you know, you know, chat rooms and MMOs, like the sense of community that you feel across a shared interest. It makes me feel really, really happy that I can provide a safe 
space for people to share their lives with other folks. I don't know. Feels feels really warm and fuzzy. I dig that. And I'm a little scared. I'm getting increasingly scared of our AI overlord here because mm. not only I feel like it's 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 learning. Because not only is our AI overlord giving us really great advice every week, but I feel like it's starting to tailor the advice to the co-hosts. Oh. Last week, Zach Sloan was the co-host, and the AI overlord just happened to have a great piece of advice about music production. Now you're here, and it's, oh, how about a piece of advice about community management to the community management professional? This is scaring me a little bit. I don't know. A little bit. It's a little creepy. <laughs> As my cat walks across the screen, hopefully she doesn't turn the computer off. She's been known to do that. <laughs> Elisa, did you happen to catch the Gramophone Awards on Sunday night? Yes. yes. I, I'm, I'm going to go ahead and just throw it out there. That may have been one of the best, one of the best Grammy telecasts that I've seen in recent memory. Really? Yeah. The, so, like, the, what, what did it for you? I mean, there were a few pretty notable performances, but what was the one where you just went, I feel like I'm watching one of the best telecasts we've seen in a while? Uh, it Well, it started with a strong sense of personal bias um, because uh, Bad Bunny opened the show, and I'm Puerto Rican. Um, but not only did Bad Bunny open the show, but he brought in... Um, uh, dancers with like typical dress like bomba dancers and pleneros um and it's like typical dress and the giant paper mache heads that are that are popular in in a lot of our festivities it was like i felt super seen there was literally and and, and i and i couldn't find it in time for the show but there's literally a picture of me as a kid wearing some of the same outfits that some of the dancers were wearing in that opening number and i was like ah just like the sense of national pride was so good and the captions just being like singing in non-english <laughs> it felt like a very very like powerful powerful statement to open the show and then the hip-hop tribute I almost cried at just like how like good and like encompassing it was. And like every single one of those folks that came up on the stage still has it. Oh my God. <laughs> that that was my thought when I saw Queen Latifah. Ooh. I was like, not only was Queen Latifah good, she was in mid-season form. Like Queen Latifah could go on a 30-city tour tomorrow. Has not like, lost a step. And then like like E40 was out there doing blow the whistle and like Busta showed Busta up. Busta rhymes! Just, oh my god! And I was like, I am losing my mind right now. It was it was so good. I feel like I feel like the in memoriam was also like really, really tasteful. Um Mary J. Blige just like understood the assignment and and had her own amazing performance like it like all of, lizzo blah! lizzo <laughs> um it, it was great the the only complaint that i have is just like i feel really really bad about the person who like pitched fielded um and eventually executed that like album of the year focus group segment <laughs> <laughs> you didn't like that Oh, <laughs> I was like, we could probably could have done without that. Maybe had another performance. I don't know. Or, or get the like or get the Grammys under three time. hours. Yeah, like 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 cut that and maybe like do a little um 
in in the same way that they have performances of the songs nominated for song of the year at like the Oscars or whatever, it would be really awesome to have like a piece about each best new artist nominee um, as like a way of literal introduction to the rest of the world and maybe the Grammys performing some sort of a service in, 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 in your estimation, telling, telling us who these people are. <laughs> I got a lot of thoughts. I got, I got, dare I say, I got all the thoughts about sure. this year's slate of nominees for best new artists. I haven't even gotten to the awards part. I mean, just, I, I got to talk about this because this bothered me so bad. I pride myself even as I'm getting older on being somebody who tries to keep up on the music industry, I work in this industry. I should know what's going on. And I have a particular love for the Grammys ever since we've known each other. Like in yep. high school, I was hosting like the Grammy it's, pool it's like where, legal where, backdoor you know. Grammy betting. Oh my God. <laughs> I, I loved this stuff. And so I can't tell you how much it broke my heart and made me the Steve Buscemi skateboard meme Uh, that I looked at this year's list of the Best New Artist nominees. I did not recognize a single name uh, with the exception of Monoskin, and I only knew them because of Eurovision. Because of Eurovision, yeah. Which, which, by the way, like, how can you still be Best New Artist when this band won Eurovision like two or three years ago? But, you know, whatever. (laughs) That's that's a whole other thing, but like this, it broke my heart. I didn't recognize a single name, a single name, and it seemed like the Recording Academy, to your point, didn't recognize any of these people either because none of them were featured in the telecast. the The first time we heard any of the names of these nominees, Anita, Omar, Apollo, Domi, and JD Beck, was when they actually announced the category three hours into the show. And it it. As somebody who does like recognize some of those names on the best, we get it. You're still cool. It's it's not even that I'm still cool. It's that like I am I am 37 years old. I am doing a mad scramble to figure out where the heck all of the new music is and trying to like follow whoever I can. At this point, I have literally outsourced my music taste to to Anthony Fantano, the Needle Drop. Because like it's it's really difficult with the with the output, just the sheer fire hose of things being released every week. Um, and also who the hell listens to terrestrial radio anymore? A, B. Um, and it ends up, you know, a lot of my my music playlist ends up just being, you know, the same shuffled you know, counting crows and no doubt albums, like most of the time. So like, I actually have to like, it's like pulling teeth, but eventually I, I don't know how it was that I found Anthony Fantano, but he has these like new music Friday streams where he literally outsources to his community. Hey, what dropped that you want us to listen to? (laughs) And then he hosts listening parties. And that's literally how I just drink from his like Twitch fire hose and then just add things to to my library that I like. And that's how I kept current. Domi and JD Beck are also locals here to Dallas. Um, oh. And so, like, we've had, like, some experience checking them out earlier. But, like, and also Mooney Long is, is, is I forget how, how I found them, but um, their song Hours and Hours is incredibly, incredibly good. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's like I have to, I have to do it. And it's like different corners of tiktok following um, a bunch of you know music heads but also a lot of a lot of folks that might be posting about music that i wouldn't necessarily gravitate 
towards either. It's like mm. a very concerted effort to be like, damn it, I am going to be like, <laughs> I just, just, a, just a ferret, just like, I don't know, just like, just trying to find all of the nooks and crannies of where all the new music lives. I guess that's the difference between your 20s and your 30s in terms of music discovery. In your 20s and your teens, I guess, knowing what is new and hip in music is a passive experience. It just comes to you. We're not being to, to anymore, baby. Yeah. <laughs> By the time you hit your 30s, you have to actively find it. It's homework for you yeah. to know who Wet Leg is yeah. and you know who who Muni Long is and that's it's just so frustrating to me but again like part of the blame lies with the academy here cuz oh, they yeah. did nothing to make any of us aware of who any of these people are when the whole point of elevating best new artist to being one of the big four Grammy categories is they're trying to get us interested in the next generation but it's hard to be when even the academy doesn't seem particularly interested in the next generation <laughs> I'm not even going to talk about that album of the year voting, man. Oh my Ooh. God. Mm. So, I mean, like, mm. how, help me reconcile this doc, literal doctor of pop culture. Okay. <laughs> literal Dr. Melendez. Um, on one hand, I want to be extraordinarily happy for Beyonce, who is mm. now our most decorated Grammy winner. And, absolutely deserves it and deserves like a few more that she didn't win and absolutely. this is wonderful for her and she still wound up stealing the show despite the fact that she wasn't there for the first half of it yeah so but how do i True reconcile queen. like the fact that i want to be happy for her and i want the media to be happy for her and to celebrate her but i'm still being confronted with stories where we don't get to celebrate her fully because we also have to be outraged by the fact that among the dump truck full of grammys that she's won none of them as of yet have been album of the year it's bananas it's absolutely bananas i don't know if it's a vote splitting thing if <laughs> i like i don't know the criteria it, it would be interesting for me um, and if, if, if we want to, you know, sort of put like, like sociology hat on, um, it would be interesting for me to see a breakdown of the demographics of the Academy as a whole and the demographics of the people who actually voted. Nope. <laughs> um, I'm, I'm, I'm not a voting member. I, I do not have a vote. Um, but I would be interested in seeing like what the actual like voting process is, what the criteria is as delivered to these folks in order to make proper decisions, etc. I gotta say, Harry's house, good production. Yeah. Renaissance. <laughs> <laughs> and then Renaissance. <laughs> renaissance <laughs> it, 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 it sucks because it's like what what's going to end up happening is what's going to end up happening to folks like probably like 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 what maybe ended up happening to like either like reba um who i think won song of the year or whatever it's like she's going to get the album of the year grammy for something that maybe didn't necessarily she's, deserve it. Like she's like, going like to win it for like her Oscar. fourth best album. Yeah. Like that late Oscar that they give people yeah. when they're like, Ooh, okay. Like, like she, she's going to get that. And it's, she, and it's like, ugh. like she's I, 
she's going to get the the Randy Newman Oscar. <laughs> they're going to name they're going to name an honorary Grammy after her, and then right. that's how she gets. But I don't know. I mean, uh, like, but I just, I just want to be happy for her without also having to read in the same issue of Billboard the outrage article, like the one that's just uh, generating clicks and generating controversy. Even though, like, yeah, she should have probably won multiple albums of the year by now. But like, can we have that outrage tomorrow and oh, today no, celebrate no, no, no. the most decorated Grammy winner ever? No, um, it, it was it was especially like salient. I think I, I think I, I sent this in our group chat when it was just like her nominations and then every single person that won. And literally the time before that, when Adele won, she literally said, this is you. I don't. This is yours. <laughs> that was the Beyonce, best speech ever. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the time. Before, I just. This is what she happens. was just like apologizing to Beyonce. <laughs> this is what happens when you don't listen to Adele. Mm. Mm. This is what happens when you don't listen to Adele. And also Lizzo, Lizzo and Adele should just like just just be at all award shows. Just get them a table at every award show. <laughs> that's 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 my Grammy chat. All right. We got five <laughs> minutes before we bring in Alan Jenkins and Gone Galan here. And we probably should do at least one entertainment law thing. <laughs> Before we, before we do, I think we're, it's like some kind of obligation we have in a contract somewhere. So I'm going to do something with you, Elisa, that we've done with a few co-hosts now. And I'll tell you, so far, I haven't gotten the results I've wanted here. All right, oh, here's no. what we're going to do. I'm going to propose to you two different entertainment law stories. Okay. You are then going to select the story that we cover this week. All right, I'll tell, and it'll be pretty clear from my proposal that one of them is one I've been trying to talk about <laughs> for several weeks now. And I think it's a really good story okay. that's going to have a lot of great insight for indie creators mm. and is a meaty discussion. And oh the second one is just not. And like, just to <laughs> F with me, every co-host has picked the not story. So here are the two okay. stories, okay? Oh boy. Do you want to hear a sordid, torrid tale of the underbelly of the Miami music industry featuring, and I'm really going to hook you in with this, a Puerto Rican hip hop artist having a horrific feud with their manager involving the possibly illegal sale of a $4 million house in Doral. Okay. That's a, that's a Tuesday. There's a lot of meat on this bone. Come on. Or Tuesday. Or do you want to hear about some silly, frivolous trademark thing involving Lizzo? Okay. You're going to pick the damn Lizzo thing, aren't you? I love her. That's my Taurus queen. Ah! Uh, but wait, there's a but, but there's a but, but I am feeling a little homesick. <laughs> you, are you, is, is that a yes? Is that do we finally get to tell this story? Homesick. Please give me your good, good channel seven flash and trash. Yes. I mean, you had me at like, yes, at, at like shady Miami illegal property sale. Oh, like, like thank it, you. It's home. That's like a public sub to me. Thank, you know I, I mean? knew it. I knew I could count on you. 
We're like this. We go back so far. I knew I could get you with this story. Too far. By the way, for those of you who just want to know the the, the, uh, trademark thing, uh, the trademark office granted Lizzo the right to register a trademark in 100% that bitch for clothing. Uh, At first, the trademark office rejected it, but then they changed their mind. So now she literally has a federal, exclusive federal claim to being 100% that bitch. All right. We buy some Yiddy with that on it. Let's talk about Latin trap star Anuel AA. And I'm not sure I'm pronouncing his name correctly, but that's I I, I did watch like five YouTube videos where he pronounced it. Uh, it's spelled A-N-U-E-L-A-A. Mm-hmm. Uh, he is currently locked in a legal battle with his former manager, Fravian Eli. In September, the manager files a lawsuit against Anuel, claiming that Anwell unilaterally terminated their management agreement, their seven-year management agreement. So seven already, oof, um, wasn't supposed to expire till 2026, but the manager claims that he's entitled to 10% of Onwell's gross earnings. Onwell then files a countersuit in November, saying, not only did I not violate any agreement, but you, Eli, actually exploited me. You defrauded me out of millions of dollars. Onwell claims that Eli secretly took excess money from uh, Onwell's, sorry, Eli, yeah, secretly took excess money from Onwell's music agreements, stole money set, that uh, Onwell had set aside for tax payments, uh, and, and allegedly bought a $4 million house in Doral along with cars and jewelry using Onwell's money. Now, mm. now, you know, like real estate's getting expensive, but even, you know, $4 million can get you a lot in Doral. Yeah, that's a lot. Yeah. Uh, And the lawsuit also claims that the manager, Eli, allegedly took kickbacks where he would arrange for deals to be done for his client that were bad deals where the client was paying too much. But it's really because he worked out a deal with the person doing the deal with his client and would keep a little bit of that money for himself. So you've been taking notes. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's uh i mean it, it like everything about this is super miami the allegations are again super miami the case is currently ongoing and i think the lessons from a, a situation like this like mm. when when people come to me and they're like how does something like this happen how do we fix it how do we not let the, how do i keep this from happening to me and you know it really comes down to two things one seven years is way too long for an artist management deal <laughs> That, that, that um, is. nope, nope, nope. Cool. Um, generally when people ask me how long should a good artist management deal be, I tend to say zero. I say oh. you should be able to leave an artist management deal whenever you like. And the manager should be able to fire you whenever they like. There's no reason that two mm-hmm. people should be working together who don't want to work together. Artist <laughs> managers don't like it when I make that proposal, but I, <laughs> that is truly how I feel like that particular relationship, at least so you've mm. known a bunch of artist managers, you know, the relationship between those two people has to be close. You're working with that person regularly. If it's not working, you can't keep those people together. You can't make no. it harder to leave a marriage. No, sorry, to leave an artist management deal yeah. than you would to leave a marriage. And that's what these contracts do. The second thing is, if you're going to get into a deal like this and money is being exchanged, you need somebody watching the money who is not the manager. Ah. You know, a separate business manager, an accountant, a fiduciary who has certain obligations to you, keeping an eye on the money and where the funds flow to keep expenses like this from happening. 
And, you know, that's wow. an important cautionary tale. Of course, something like this has to happen in Miami, right? I, I mean, I mean, you know, as as they say, this one has a South Florida connection. <laughs> <laughs> Every time. Every time. Oh, no. Yeah, absolutely. Anytime time. we know anytime like something horrific happens anywhere in the world, really, yeah. if you peel back the layers of the onion enough, there's a South Florida connection. Oh, there it's is a South inevitable. Florida inevitable. I mean, it's it's really one. It's our chief. It's our chief import, really, is uh, it's, South it's, Florida it's connections the, to scandals. It's the epicenter of mess. <laughs> All right. All right, let us take a deep breath. Let us get that that Miami sordidness off us. Thank you so much for letting me finally tell of the course, story. Of course, of <laughs> course. I did, had, to, had to do it. Much appreciated. Let's take a quick break, and then we got uh, Alan Jenkins and Gongalon joining us. Don't go anywhere. Keep checking out Break the Business. Ryan Carella here. I hope you're enjoying the show, and I hope that you're getting a lot out of it. I do what I do because I care about creators like you. A lot. I've dedicated my career to helping creative professionals, entrepreneurs, and organizations move forward. I do it by hosting this program, and I'm also proud to do it in my legal practice. If you're a creative professional looking for solutions-oriented legal services to help you further your goals, I'd love to help. My firm RKPA does contracts, commercial law, copyright, trademark, and more. Visit rkpalaw.com to learn more. That's rkpalaw.com. Ryan A. Carella, PA, Miami, Florida. Streaming services for Break the Business provided by L.E.K. Entertainment. L.E.K. Entertainment is a full-service entertainment company offering everything from consultations to full-scale events and productions, including audio and video productions, voiceovers, staged theatrical productions, script and music development, and streaming services. For more information, visit lekentertainment.com. L.E.K. Entertainment wants to help you bring your story to life. Thanks for supporting Break the Business. If you have a question or topic that you want us to discuss, email us at breakthebusiness@gmail.com. at gmail.com. You can follow the host, that's me, on Twitter at Ryan K-A-I-R, and you can follow the show at The BTB Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show on Twitch, YouTube, and Facebook, and on all major podcast platforms. And now, let's get back to the show. Welcome back to Break the Business, everybody. Ryan Corelli here, joined by Elisa Rockdock. Elisa, I forgot to mention with respect to the Grammys. Oh. I don't know if you heard this, but a lot of people were criticizing the Harry Styles performance with the rotating stage, saying it was a little slow, I, a little plodding. I heard some things. Did about you hear that. some things about maybe that the it stage actually rotated in the different direction? Can feel, you imagine? I feel so bad because <laughs> in general, I don't think that I would be able to pull off that choreography, but shout out to if if if, if this is true because like I, I don't know if it, if it's like officially been confirmed or not being able to basically do the reverse choreography and adjust literally in a live spot yeah. to a rotating platform rotating in the opposite direction than you expected holy mackerel yeah no wonder he almost ate it yeah oh i was about God. to say it might serve to explain how he nearly face planted oh when he got gosh. off of said rotating stage what a all nightmare. right 
We got two very distinguished guests joining us on the program this week. The first is an acclaimed social justice leader and professor at Harvard Law School. And the second is a artist and New York Times bestselling author. Our guests recently collaborated on One Six, a four issue graphic novel that imagines an alternate reality where the January 6th attacks on the Capitol succeeded. One Six was supported by a successful Kickstarter campaign, and it's available now on Amazon. We are happy to welcome Alan Jenkins and Gon Galan on Break the Business. Hello to you both. Hey, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, great to be here. Now, even as I say this, am I saying the title right? Do you say One Six, or are we supposed to say January 6th because it's a date? It's One Six. You got oh, it. oh yeah. thank God. That would have and, been, and I, I was reason. so afraid of getting off on the wrong foot with you guys. <laughs> no, no, you're good. And there's a reason because we think that one six should be as important in our national consciousness as a nine 11. And so uh, I was gone actually who, who uh, lobbied for the title one six. Right on. Well, gone, let me ask you this question first. Okay. An acclaimed visual artist like you, and a Harvard law professor like Professor Jenkins would seem an unusual pairing to collaborate on a speculative fiction graphic novel. But this is actually the second such project you two have worked on together. How did you two initially get connected to start doing projects like these? Yeah, we've actually been friends for a long time. But, you know, I knew about Alan professionally. He was the the founder and leader of the Opportunity Agenda, which was just a premier social justice messaging organization that really helped us think and talk more deeply about key issues that were happening in this country. And he also understood that culture, culture creators of all kinds were really important and invited me to like one of the greatest gatherings of my life of artists, musicians from all over the country to talk about how our work was really important for moving the national conversation on many issues. And um, then I got to know him and his work and and we started to discover that there was this sort of underlying love for comics. And we shared this sort of geek, uh, you know, part of our personality. We'd see each other at comic cons and things like that. And we just um, realized that there was a lot of points of connection, not just in terms of what we cared about, but the kind of culture and media that we wanted to see in the world. And then when Alan approached me with this uh, premise for this comic book, I said yes on the spot because it's just such a great idea. And um, I was just really excited to work with Alan and all the incredible skills he brings as a creator and not just, you know, Harvard law professor and uh, just, you know, top notch communicator. So, Alan, you were the original proposer of a graphic novel. So why why a graphic novel, professor, as your choice of medium to tell this story? You're a law professor. Why a graphic novel as opposed to a plotting scholarly article that no one will read? Yeah, well, there you go, right? <laughs> First try, and I have to say, AI Overlord Tip of the Week theme music rocks really wow. awesome. I don't know who like that wrote that or who performed it, but it was amazing. And the uh, the Chad GPT uh, response was terrifying. So yeah. that's I just got to put that out there. So, but to answer your question, you know, short answer is, uh, I love comic books. I love our democracy. I really felt like and feel like our democracy is at risk and it's still at risk. And a comic book seemed like a good way to reach a lot of people who might not be reading the 360 page, uh, you know, uh, January 6th committee report or, you know, glued to television watching uh, the, the committee hearings, uh, but who love pop culture and love comic books and might be reached with a really interesting, entertaining story. 
so that was why why uh, the the first idea I had actually was not a report, not an article, law review article, but uh, a graphic novel. And I know you both have spoken in the past about how this work is just kind of the latest in a long tradition of comic books being used to fight evils like white supremacy and fascism. Can you talk about sort of how your work fits into that larger trend? Um, yeah, you know, there is, uh, there's always this thing going around like, oh, you know, culture's becoming so woke or comic books are becoming so woke. And that just completely ignores <laughs> the amazing history of comics, you know, having been political and really all, you know, taking the side of oppressed people in this country all over the world. And it goes back to the, to the very beginning. You can start with Superman, you know, Siegel and Schuster. He was, he was a working people's hero during the Great Depression. You know, he was punching out landlords and corrupt factory mm. owners. And it was just, it was on and on. And like, and, um, you know, uh, and then he famously fought against the KKK in the 1950s. And so, and that's, uh, and that, that tradition continues with Captain America famously punching out, you know, Adolf Hitler. And keep in mind, that was before the U.S. had even entered into the war. Um, and there was a very active Nazi party in the United States. So it wasn't so clear, um, you know, what we were going to do in that moment. And, and comic book artists and storytellers were stepping out in front of the issues and saying, we need to take a clear stand and we're going to use these heroes to do that. Um, you know, the history goes on. There's just been incredible uh, comics about um, uh, Martin Luther King and the Montgomery uh, bus boycotts. That was a comic book that was translated into many languages all over the world and found its hands into activists who were in Egypt during uh, the Arab Spring. You know, so comic books even were uh, teaching people about these movements from one country to another. They just became this great medium to help educate people about the history of, you know, rising up against oppression. That continues in the present day. Um, you know, you had Mouse about the uh, the Holocaust, mm -hmm. um, uh, just a really stunning, stunning graphic novel. You had Persepolis about, uh, you know, uh, the Iranian Revolution and, and everything that people endured there. Um, and then you even have like modern stuff that's really gay, great. Uh, La Boriquenia is a, a Puerto Rican superhero, um, you know, that came came was created after Hurricane Maria. And it's illustrated by none other than. Uh, our artistic uh, partner in this, Will Rosado, um, who really helped bring the story to life. But it's it's a long, proud tradition. And for us to be considered to be part of that is just an honor. So we're really happy to to talk about real issues through a comic book. Well, Elisa, I feel like they're playing right to your wheelhouse now as a pop culture academic, a, a literal doctor of this subject matter. And somebody who I'm sure is so sick of people being like, why does all of this pop culture today so woke and talking about social issues as if they have no sense of history about like what Star Wars was or what oh, Star God. Trek was or what Superman was? It's like all art is political. If you have the capability to say, why is this being political? Then that means that you are in a privileged position to be able to ask that question. <laughs> um, so like, ev like everything an artist does is is political. If you choose not to decide, you still have made a choice. That's a Rush song. <laughs> um, I'm I'm such a huge fan personally of of interdisciplinarity and like a mixed methods approach, not just in sort of like gathering research, but I wish that more people applied a mixed methods approach in like the presentation of of material. So opting more for 
you know, the, the, the graphic novel, you know, a lot of folks are opting for, for the YouTube video, but, you know, having to sort of cut through the noise of, of all of the other options that, that are out there vis-a-vis YouTube and everything, but having, having different methods within pop culture to talk about these very, very important issues. I'm, a thousand percent a huge huge fan of um i'm i'm the kind of person who'll be like write me a sociological paper about a piece of popular culture and you don't think you'll be able to talk about things like like deviance and and you know structure and all of that stuff but like no no no, no. it's literally everywhere <laughs> <laughs> um so i'm I, I'm, I, I'm eating this up with a spoon <laughs> and, and Elisa, to your point about mixed methods, I mean, this this too is mixed. So it's a comic book. We're partnering with the Western State Center, a nonprofit organization out on the West Coast to do an education and action guide. So if people read this, they're scared or angry or just motivated to do something or to learn more, they're going to be able to do that for free uh, and access that if libraries or colleges or you know, civic groups want to do a, a teach-in or talk about these issues. They're going to have a vehicle for doing that. So, uh, and I have um, research assistants who are doing the fact-checking uh, to make sure that the the uh, you know real-life elements that are underneath this story are rigorously accurate. Uh, so, absolutely, that interdisciplinarity is is crucial to getting it right. Let's go back now to the making of this project. Uh, both of you, this is uh, actually our second guest group in a row that was able to make a project happen through the work of a successful Kickstarter campaign. And we've seen a lot of indie creators come through this show and use that platform to great success, bringing something new into the world. Uh, Gon, uh, Alan, can either of you talk a little bit about that experience and what it was like to set up that campaign? Yeah, I, I can start. And, you know, I should say full disclosure, we raised a lot of money uh, of which the Kickstarter was uh, one part, mm-hmm. uh, and but a crucial part. And the Kickstarter, we really um, have oriented towards getting the book out for free to lots and lots of folks, schools, libraries, uh, organizations, and the like. Uh, and, <clears throat> excuse me, it, you know, we were really, we are really, really pleased with how backers stepped up. People were really excited about it and continue to be excited and are like messaging us, you know, when's the, so the digital version came out and is, is out on Amazon. Uh, the print version will be out in a few weeks. And so we keep hearing from them about, hey, when's this thing coming? Uh, you know, w- one other thing I would say just in terms of a tip, I don't know if I'm as good as, as the AI bots. Uh, <laughs> Uh, on this, but, um, you know, we, we promoted the book and I think without that, we would not have reached and exceeded our goal. So it was not enough just to kind of put a challenge up there and, and, you know, say, Hey, we're here. Uh, we, you know, pitched the, the story to, uh, you know, news, uh, operations around January 6th of 2023. Uh, we, you know, had a, and have a social media presence and so those all those things went hand in hand wow um i and that's what we often hear that the successful kickstarter campaigns aren't just make a good video and put it out there and hope people will find it 
the the launch is really a just part of a much longer campaign where you have to get out there. You have to promote it. Our, our guest who we had on last week, Jeremy Facknitz, who raised uh, a great deal of money on his Kickstarter, said it was retail politics. He actually was reaching out to people one at a time, asking them for money as opposed to even just tweeting things out. It was that one-on-one approach, mm. you know, literally shaking a person's hand to get them to make that donation, which made the difference. And it sounds like you all had a, a similar experience. You had to get out there and, and actually promote it to, to get the numbers that you wanted to get. Absolutely. And, you know, two other things. One is uh, made a mistake, which was uh, we picked January 6th as the end of the campaign. And on Kickstarter, you can't actually change the date once the campaign starts. And we soon realized that we could have collected more money if we had gone beyond that date. So that's just something for folks to be aware of. Uh, And, you know, the, the second thing is people were excited about the cause and concerned also about our democracy, about, uh, you know, white supremacy and disinformation. And so a lot of people contributed uh, because they were excited about why we were doing this. Uh, And, you know, not only because they wanted a comic book, because the comic book's cheap. The comic book, you know, costs the the digital versions $2.99 and the print version is going to be $3.99. So they weren't contributing so that they could get a comic book at the end, although they're going to. They wanted to see this uh, get out and and reach people who might not otherwise be engaged on this issue. I'd like to ask you both this question uh, one at a time in this regard. For the people out there who, as you noted, Professor, are worried, this a book like this speaks to their warning or their worries because... The book, the, this, this book, one six, isn't just an act of speculation for the for the sake of speculation. We're not just saying what if for the sake of saying what if. This book is a warning. It is telling people what can happen if we are not vigilant about protecting our democracy. And this may not be the first. This may this may not be the last time that we experience something like that. So for the people who whose thoughts are provoked about this whole experience. And are wondering what we do to prevent this. Did did the course of either of your collective expertise or writing this book give you any insights on what we need to do to prevent something like this from happening again? Uh, we can start with you, Professor. Sure, and uh, please call me Alan. Uh, and uh, yeah, the the answer is absolutely. I mean, we we had the privilege uh, to talk to a lot of experts, people who study authoritarian governments and coups in other parts of the world, and our own history uh, here in the United States. And uh, you know, so on the one hand, people will have access to the Education and Action Guide, which will kind of uh, you know, encapsulate uh, all of this advice. But you know, part of it is about you know, being careful consumers of information, mm-hmm. making sure that you know, just that, that uh, you know, Facebook uh, you know, link that somebody sends you, you're actually assessing. Is this reliable? Is it from an accurate source? Is it actually, uh, you know, re- uh, information that's been researched, or is it just clickbait that's designed to inflame? And we know that the Facebook uh, algorithms are intentionally geared towards inflaming our emotions, not informing us. Uh, some of it is about holding our government accountable. We have, you know, there are 179 people uh, who were elected or reelected uh, to office in the midterms who are election deniers, who either voted against certifying the election, members of Congress who voted against certifying the election, 
uh, for Joe Biden, despite his uh, full and fair victory, or there are people who have otherwise denied the election. And some of those people are in charge of elections. And so we need to hold those people accountable. It's a matter of registering to vote and voting, asking tough questions, going to your you know, uh, elected officials office or their town halls and asking them, hey, what are you doing to strengthen our democracy? And for those electeds who are actually trying to tear it down, we saw some of them in action in the State of the Union yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, actually calling them out and organizing against them. And, you know, for example, running to be, uh, or volunteering, I should say, to be an election worker, uh, to make sure that the, the vote is protected, running to be an elected official. So there's a range of things uh, from learning more and consuming reliable information to you know teaching your kids to treat everyone with dignity and respect uh, and to recognize our, our uh, equality to actually getting involved in the political process. Gone. Uh, same question for you, and I know uh, I know Alan gave always, us a lot there. Always difficult to follow the. Uh, the yeah. Shouldn't have let the Harvard guy go first. <laughs> Those people can be a little loquacious. Um, yeah, but I, you know, there's so much to say about this, and we will have an action guide that's part of part of the comic, as as Alan mentioned. But you know, um, elections clearly matter, and it's more than just uh, you know, and democracy, protecting our democracy, is a lot more than just voting. That is the absolute mm-hmm. least you can do. You certainly should do that. But it's all these other things that make our, that protect our democracy and keep it existing, but also keep it vital and thriving. Um, and we should just keep in mind, you know, that, that the Stop the Steal rally, as it was called on January 6th, was a blatant attempt to steal the election. That's what it was. And it was called Stop the Steal to cover up the fact that that's what the goal was, both by physical force um, the attack on the Capitol to stop the certification of the ballots and also, uh, you know, use violence to intimidate um, the vice president into certifying an illegal uh, certification of the votes, um, which he did not agree to, as well as all the behind the scenes machinations, uh, you know, pointing f- that Trump was directly involved in, you know, pointing the fake electors and all of these things. It was all an attempt to steal the election Um and, and our whole system was really put to the test. It, it narrowly survived, but this is not the end. And this will definitely not be the last attempt. And the insurrection really hasn't, fit, um, you know, uh, dissipated. And we may be even closer um, to uh, another more successful attempt. And so all the things that Alan said really demand our vigilance and our participation way beyond voting. Um, you know, sign up to be an election observer, help people get f- through the poll to the polls, make sure they don't feel intimidated and dissuaded, make sure those polling places are available to everyone. Um, and, you know, that's just the tip of the iceberg. But it's really about um, this is a moment in history where we'll be, we're all being called to do a lot more than the minimum if our democracy is going to survive. It is as frightened and as concerned as I am to kind of, you know, hear the warnings that you all are providing, which are certainly feelings I share. Uh, I'm also like, I, I feel just a sense of excitement just from how much I enjoy hearing the two of you talk about working together. You know, we, we rarely get to have two guests on the show and it's great when they're, when they collaborate on a project and you can still kind of feel the energy mm-hmm. of how much they clearly enjoyed working together. Elisa, like this is, this is really neat. Uh, so yeah. I, I'm just curious, uh, gone 
Is there going to be a trilogy to your graphic novels with Alan? Like, is there going to be a third project that we might see someday? Um, it, it's certainly possible. I mean, we created an imprint. This is something we can talk about as well. Is like we have gone a fully independent route up up to this point to get this out. We felt that was really important for a number of reasons. For reasons of timing, you know, mm -hmm. our 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 book had a date in in the title. We certainly yeah. had to get it out to audiences by then. <laughs> Um, and that meant circumventing a lot of the traditional publishing structure in order to get that done. And also, uh, you know, maintaining the independence of our voice and our vision for this project. And so we created an imprint uh, for the sake of getting this comic book out. But there certainly might be more. And, um, yeah, I've thoroughly enjoyed working with Alan. We have a lot of fun, despite the the, the horror of the, <laughs> a lot of the subject matter we deal with. Um, so that's that's really helpful. Um, but the and but the comic itself, this is only issue number one. There's going to be four issues coming out. So um, yeah, there's a lot more opportunities, uh, you know, for us to continue the work. But also, the story is really going to unfold over the next uh, three issues, where we go deeper into. Uh, you know, the first issue actually starts after this uh, breach of our timeline, where the insurrection has succeeded. We're in this alternative world already. Issue two, we're going to go back before it all happened and show how we got here. And a lot of that is gonna be recounting the factual events um, leading up to January 6th. We do have a research team that Alan has brought on board from Harvard um, to make sure that the factual piece, even though this is speculative fiction, mm -hmm. the factual piece is really um, grounded in, in what happened and is absolutely bulletproof. So um, yeah, so stay tuned, there's a lot more to come. Our guests have been Gon Golan, New York Times bestselling author, and Alan Jenkins, professor at Harvard Law School. Uh, they've recently collaborated on 1-6, the first of a four-issue graphic novel that imagines an alternate history where the January 6th attacks succeeded. And even though it is a work of fiction, the warnings in it are very, very real for all of us. Gentlemen, this has been uh, thought-provoking and just a really uh exciting conversation from both of you before we let you go i'd like to get one last piece of advice from e each of you for our creators out there we'll start with you gone do you have any last tips for the indie creators out there to help them move their careers forward mm, absolutely i mean uh you know stick with your vision number one um you know find a, an amazing collaborator that you enjoy working with um and that that those two things by themselves will get you through a lot, but um, we have more opportunities now than ever before to produce things independently. Um, certainly, uh, you know, with book publishing, comic book publishing. So really look at those options and, you know, assemble, assemble your own team, assemble your own army of artists and, and collaborators. Um, that's like making a band basically um, that you want to go through this process with. And, um, and then think about your audience, who it is you really want to reach and be communicating with and where where are they like what listservs what spaces online mm -hmm. are they inhabiting and become a part of those communities um and then build your sort of own lists your either personally or your own uh you know credibility within those communities so that when you have something to show them um you know they know it's coming from from someone who really understands where they're coming from and and al and i are lucky enough to be part of communities like that but we've leaned very heavily on them for the promotion of the book all right. Same question for you, Alan. Any tips for the creators out there to help move their careers forward? Yeah, I mean, building on what Gon said, I would say always ask, right? Ask your community. I'm, I'm going to ask your viewers and listeners, go to 16comics.org, O-N-E-S-I-X, comics.org, sign up, go to Amazon, buy the book. Uh, we, you know, asked 
uh, the Kickstarter community to support and back our outreach strategy. And they said, yes, we asked lots of experts on the insurrection. Would they talk to us? We asked reporters, political reporters with, you know, kind of timidly, hey, would you mm -hmm. talk to us about this? They said, yeah, it was like therapy actually for them. So, you know, don't be afraid to ask, don't be a pest, but mm -hmm. don't be afraid to ask people uh, to, to support your vision in a manageable way, because we, we've really been overwhelmed and, and humbled by how many people have stepped up to assist us in this effort. Thank you both. Really terrific insight. We really appreciate you both coming on the show. Don't be a stranger. Uh, we really love your perspective. We'd love to have you on again real soon. Awesome. Fantastic. Thanks so much for having us. This is great. Hey. Gone Galan and Alan Jenkins, everybody. Elisa, I feel equal parts so cool. excited and also terrified, which bears resemblance to pretty much every time I've ever interacted with a law professor. <laughs> so, <laughs> you poor thing. So, You're just like getting flashbacks. It absolutely, I mean, and especially when he's like, uh, you know, he's like, oh, you don't, don't call me professor, call me out. I'm like, I don't know if I can. <laughs> You're asking a lot out of me. You got in trouble with a professor. I know. That's a, still, been out of law school 10 years. I'm still getting scolded by still, law professors. Still sweating. Still sweating. Oh, but powerful stuff. I mean, just in, in, in quite an experience, huh? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm I'm a I'm as always a huge proponent of of interdisciplinary methods for expressing these kinds of speculative fiction type deals. Any, you know, do it in music, do it with your art. Don't think that something has to be this like ivory tower thing in order to to make a serious impact. It may yeah. actually have a better impact if it's not. And I think to the point that people often make where, you know, people will talk about pop culture today and be like, why is pop culture so woke? And they forget that, like, it's always been woke. It's always been woke. Part of me is, like, saddened that they don't realize that. But part of me is also happy because doesn't that kind of mean that it worked? Like, back in, the, <laughs> back in 1940, when Superman is punching <laughs> Hitler, like, today we all say, yeah, that's not controversial. Superman should punch Hitler. <laughs> Back then, it was it, it was a little more controversial. So the fact that like now we look back and it doesn't seem that spicy means that it worked to some extent. And maybe someday the people will look back on what we are doing today and think it's similarly uncontroversial, which hopefully would be a good outcome. That's like one of the weird things about progress is that change has to occur. Uh, my thanks to you, Elisa. Our thanks to Alan Jenkins and Gon Galan. Thanks to producer Lauren. And thanks to all of you, viewers and listeners, for checking out Break the Business. We'll see you next week.